Okay, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read it all together. Okay, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will we be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Here ends the word of the Lord. Amen.
Okay, so are you following me w well into this maze? And really, I'm very grateful because I know that this isn't an easy sermon. And yet, you have been uh, very supportive and very... Okay, everyone is being cleansed. Okay, and I know that this is not an easy sermon. And at the same time, it's also a lot of content, and I'm very grateful that you are following along. And I'm sure that you may feel this way. Oh, that something feels good, but I don't know exactly what it is. Is that, is that not the case? Like, you're enjoying it, but, but something, you don't know exactly what it is. But please, listen in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to make this complete in you. And... And also, this sermon is going to go up on our website. And so when you go home, uh, please listen again. And when you listen again, you'll hear things that you did not hear while you were here. And so that word will continually renew you, and the word will be new to you all the time. And also, um, when people uh, sign up to our church, there is a textbook that we give for a year's worth of, of teaching that, that they need to get caught up on. And it begins with soteriology, doctrine of salvation, ending with doctrine of, of the end times, of the eschatology. And so, and so I'm going to leave this with Pastor Francisco. Uh, but it's in English, and so I hope that someone will be able to translate it to Spanish soon. And so I'll be leaving this textbook with Pastor Francisco. And if someone can translate English to Spanish, it'd be great. It's not very long. It's only about 30, 40 pages. So if you need, please uh, contact Pastor Francisco. And if you look at this, you'll be able to uh, see the uh, entirety. But anyways, if you look at Hebrews 6.1, it talks about the elementary things of Christ. And the early church, uh, all the church members, when they first entered into the church, they had to go through the elementary teachings of Christ first. And so beginning with faith and going to the eschatology. And so anyways, 
Uh, this is my calling. My calling is to establish pastors upright, and so and so in order to establish pastors, God wants me to provide everything necessary for them to stand upright. And, and so I'm not someone who's just going to come here, preach to you, and then never see you guys again. I'll do my best to support you in however I can to uh, to provide teaching and and to provide to provide support. And so I pray that you continue to uh, receive this training and be nurtured and so that you can also go out and train and nurture. And I'm sure that many things will happen in this one conference, but I pray that you would continually be with us and walk with us, continually be trained in our ministry, trained in our truth system, and receive the word that you need, receive even the intercession prayer that you need. Because in our church, we have 24-hour intercession, and one of the teams is dedicated to South America. And so if you, in your ministry, find hardships, you can, uh, if you're part of our ministry, you can send your prayer topics to our prayer team, and we'll pray for you. And so if you receive this intercession, uh, it will be of great benefit to your ministry. And so um, I, I, this applies to Costa Rica and under Pastor Francisco. And so, so uh, in other regions, I'm sure we're going to eventually establish people. But in Costa Rica, uh, we want to work through Pastor Francisco. And so uh, I'm not only meeting you once. I'm sure that you have, I'm sure maybe some of you that will be the case. But for the most part, uh, I want to continually have fellowship with you. And so that, and, and I want to be able to provide uh, what's necessary. But please pray for the Spanish translation. Uh, we, we need we need people. Uh, Chinese and English, we, we we're, we're pretty we're pretty well set. But but when it comes to Spanish, Spanish, all we have is this one Sergio. <laughs> It's too difficult for him to do this all on his own. And so we need ministers who can speak Spanish. And so especially young adults, uh, if you want to devote yourself to the ministry, we welcome you to Korea. And you can grow together with us and minister with us. We will. We welcome. We open an invitation to you. And then, so from verse 18 to 26, is talking about those who are trying to uh, interrupt our fellowship with God. It talks about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. And one spirit that was particularly pointed out as the Antichrist during the early church era was the spirit of Gnosticism. And what, what is Gnosticism? 
Gnosticism is actually at the root of many mystical um, religious. For example, Hinduism is actually just an out extension of Gnosticism. So if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it talks about the lawless man, that the man, the lawless man needs to be revealed. And this lawless man is the Antichrist. And the, the uh, religion that's going to strengthen that Antichrist is the Hinduism. Uh, he's going to uh, take control of the upper caste of Hinduism, the Brahmins. And then through that, uh, all other religions are going to submit to him. And uh, they're going to acknowledge every other religion together. But this religion of Brahmin, the, the root of it is Gnosticism. And when the God established this glorious church in the early church, the Antichrist also set up a plan to attack them. And what that plan was, was Gnosticism. And so, of course, I can't explain everything about Gnosticism, but anyways, but uh, the important thing is the flow of holiness. But, but if you look at Gnosticism, what they emphasize is knowledge. And, and, and in some senses, it seems very similar to the gospel. But uh, what, what you see them ultimately manifest as is either extreme asceticism or or complete fleshliness, right? Where, where there's no need to repent, that, that, that you can um, enjoy life however you want because your spirit and your flesh is separate. And so this is actually the danger of Hinduism. And, and it sounds very similar to Hinduism, doesn't it? It also sounds very similar to various cults in the world. And so anyways, this is, this is Gnosticism, the spirit of Gnosticism, right? It's talking about... Um, um, a magnification of of spirituality, right? And look at look at this present day age where where people um, emphasize spirituality, spirituality without aim. It's just spirituality, right? And that's Gnosticism. And so Antichrist is using this to take control of the lives of people, of the hearts of men. And Gnosticism isn't some organization but rather it's a hidden spirit, a spirit, spirit that flows uh, in the background to, to influence the church. Okay, I have six children, and I'm so happy that they've grown into beautiful ministers. Okay, my, um, my firstborn just got married, so he did not come here. But if he did come here, I'm sure that he would have been a good praise leader here. But they are growing very well, and so I give the glory to God. Uh, but these children, they've, they've grown up, they've been raised on this anointing, and so, so they are excellent in the ministry. So it's all thanks be to God, amen? And so as pastors, your children, okay, you need to understand that from generation to generation, it's usually they are called as servants of God. 
Because priests come from the family of priests. I was, I was praying yesterday, and as I was praying yesterday, I felt the tragedy of many of your children um, being addicted on drugs. And so if God grants us grace, I, I want to pray for this to cut that curse. And the enemy, the devil, tries to attack you by attacking your children. So you really need to pray for your children. And so tonight, if God grants us the grace, uh, let's pray to break the curse against our children. Anyways, let's turn to verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And so when he says that is the last hour, the, what he means isn't that, oh, it's the last hour, but he's talking about this time between D-Day and V-E-Day. You know, what is D-Day? D-Day is when Jesus came to this earth, right? His, his, his birth, his nativity. But VE day is his return. And so these last hour is talking about the era in between that. And so all of this is the end times. And so in this space, in this space, Jesus can come at any time. And so our schedule needs to be aligned with his return. As we minister on this earth, as we build the church, remember that ultimately the reward for all of this and the goal for all of this is for when He returns. We are not trying to make something of our names, of ourselves in this earth. Rather, our goal is for His return. And our goal needs to be that when He returns, where am I going to be? Where do I stand in the presence of God? Not just me, but also my church members. This is something that you need to be continuously praying for. That that if the Lord were to return today, where would I stand before Him? And where would my sheep uh, stand before Him? How would they stand before the Lord? And remember, pastors, your reward are your flock, are your sheep. And so if they are not standing in glory before God, that, that is tragedy for you. And so please, do not forget this for even one moment, that your goal needs to always be set there. And as you lead your church, that is what you need to have in mind. If you, if you receive this deep in your heart, then you will know how to, have your, how to practice your pastoral ministry. If you lose this uh, outlook on the end times, that's when you'll be corrupted. That's when you'll be uh, corrupted by, by greed, by, by power, by influence, by immorality. And so that is the fearful thing. Pastors, pastors, these spiritual attacks always comes to you the strongest. And for this reason, you need someone like me to help you to, to provide spiritual nourishment and to fight together, to stand together as we fight. And so 
And so God is establishing these kinds of generational leaders to, to provide the support for pastors. And so apostles and prophets are being established. And so if you have that calling for that kind of leader, then you also need to stand at the forefront and lead your followers. But if you are a follower, then you need to find that leader and follow after that leader. This, this calling must be clear. It's one or the other. You are not a leader, but you try to be a leader? No, that should not be the case. And so if I am a follower, then I need to follow that leader. Now, of course, if you're a leader, then God is going to establish you and provide you with the truth, provide you with all the nourishment, provide you with everything you need to lead. And this isn't because of one excellent person. No, it's not because of that person's uh, character or personality, but rather it's the calling of God. And 32 years ago, God called me. And, and after a while, God told me what that calling was, what kind of ministry. And so for a while, for a time, I prayed like this. Lord, I need a leader for me. I need someone to lead me. I need a mentor that I, I am not good enough to do this. I cannot do this on my own. Because really, for 13 years, no one acknowledged me. I was always alone for 13 years with the Bible and with the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, I prayed because I had no one around me. And so I prayed 10, 12 hours a day before the Lord. Because the attack was so strong, really, it was a struggle. I asked God, send me a leader who would serve me. But God told me that you pray. And so even now, uh, if anyone wants to take my place for in Zoe ministry, I welcome you at any time. If, you, if there's some amongst you, then come here. Pastor Francisco, do you want this position? Okay, when I went to Africa, I can't say this. I that come here. This isn't my choice. I'm not here because I want to be, but it's God's calling. And so the same to you. In this day and age, you need to have a clear understanding of your calling. That is there a leader that I need to follow? Then who is that leader? Or am I that leader? And if you are that leader, then God will give you revelation directly. And He will give you this apostolic authority. And He will give you the prophetic anointing. And this kind of person is a leader for this day and age. If that's not the case, then meet someone like me so that you can receive spiritual nourishment and power. And so we can come together and fight together. That is what it means to live in this era of the two witnesses. And God is going to establish these two witnesses, and we as these two witnesses are going to lead this day and age. Amen? And so to Zoe Ministry, uh, I, I, I'm glad that you are here. And so whether I'm real or fake, that's up to you to decide. But for the past 30 years, uh, God has really led us in a very great way. 
And he has perfected me, purified me, sanctified me to this point where I, now I stand before you. And really, I'm, it's a little, it's a little uh, embarrassing to talk of myself like this. But anyways, I'm not trying to talk of myself, but rather I'm trying to talk about the day and age that we live in right now. And so it's the end times right now. Because it's the end times, this is what's going on. And so let's continue. And so, in, so at that time, this Gnosticism was the philosophy that, that, that the Antichrist moved through. And even now, even now, this flow of Gnosticism is still in the church. First of all, you can see it in what? In positive thinking. Right, this positive thinking is what's killing the church these days. Right, they use the name of God to have positive. And like, for example, I don't want to use this name, uh, but the Austin in America. And then, and then the one who wrote that Purpose Driven Life, if you've read that book before. Right, this is all positive thinking. It's not faith. That, oh, man can do whatever they put their mind to. That just look at the prize. Prize. Light it away. Look at the prize it away. Bright. 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 Okay, and so you need to be aware that this kind of flow is flowing through the church. And that's why it's so important to empty yourself, to deny yourself. If you don't, then unknowing to you, you get influenced by these things. And so do not uh, be lazy in putting yourself to death. Like, look at the system of this world, whether it's TV, advertisement, all of this is trying to build up this positive mindset so that, so that it feels good. And even the seminary schools you've gone to. Okay, what is seminary? Seminary is studying God. But can God be defined? And yet, you need to define God in order to study Him, right? And that's why seminary can be dangerous. And so, seminary can't help but receive this positive outlook so that they can interpret God in a way that's easy for people to digest. And so, but what should seminary actually do? It, sh it actually should be studying people. That, that what they should see is that there is no hope in man. And so you give up on man. And as you give up, God fills that empty space. Seminary, theology is study of man, not study of God. But because they study God, they're, they're so polluted by positive thinking. And so through your seminary, through your theological studies, uh, you've been infiltrated by this positive thinking. 
You need to find these things, discover these things through listening of the truth. And so what is a vaccine? Right, vaccine is taking um, a benign bacteria or virus and injecting it into you so that your body can develop antibodies, so that your body can develop an immunization, right? But that's what seminary has done. It's given you this, this um, weakened and not, not living Jesus Christ to vaccinate you. And so you can't receive the real Jesus Christ. Look at the early church. Look at the most normal and uh, uncommon lifestyle of Jesus Christ, of a Christian, which is what? Is to die for Jesus. This isn't some amazing level of spirituality, but rather they needed to call, uh, everyone in the Roman Empire needed to call Caesar curious, Lord, but they're calling Jesus Lord. That means that they're saying they're willing to die. This is the most common, most natural, and most normal aspect of Christian life. And so in this day and age, if you say to die for the gospel, they're going to look at you like you're a crazy man. Why? Because the church these days have been immunized by Jesus' vaccines. And so they cannot receive the truth of Jesus. And they cannot receive the truth. And first John later will see that he's asking you, where do you belong? Where do you belong? Do you belong to the true church? Do you belong to the truth? Or do you belong to God? And so these three things will be clearly asked to you. Are you is your church the church of God? You need to confirm that. Because God wants His church. He's not looking for an organization. And so, and so if you are not the church of God, then that is no longer a church. It is just simply an organization. You just become a religious organization. And if you're a religious organization, you don't need a church. Right? Rather than going to church, why not go to a Buddhist temple? Because in Korea, Buddhist temples will feed you at least. Churches don't feed you, but a Buddhist temple will feed you. And so your church, if it's not confirmed as a church of God, then it's no better than, than any other religious organization. Your church is not defined by how many people are in your church. That's not the matter. Okay, it's only after uh, the church fell after Constantine the Great um, that, 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 that the numbers in the church mattered. But before that, it didn't matter. If, in, if the true church has only one member, through that one member, the church will be glorified. And so, this positive thinking and humanism, right, right, saying that you need to love. But look, look at the love of God, how terrifying it can be in some ways. That it is something that denies humanism. For example, look at the Deuteronomy when it blesses the Levites. Who are Levites? You are Levites, right? And what's the blessing that's given to the Levites? Is that the Levites need to be able to kill their brothers. Right? That if their brothers are not offering the right worship to God, 
If God says to kill them, they need to be able to kill them. That is love of God. Look at how terrifying the love of God can be. There is no space for humanism. You cannot serve God without first transcending human relationships. And so that's why when God asked me, told me to be a pastor, I said, I don't want to be. I said, Lord, I love my wife too much. I love my children too much. I love my friends too much. Uh, when I was in, I, I, I studied in America for 10 years. And during that 10 years, I had 10 friends who lived with me for that 10 years. And so imagine how close we would be. And yet the moment I met with Jesus Christ, I cut off my relationship with them. And that's why I didn't want to be a pastor. Lord, I don't want to do this. But that is love of God. Because you receive the love of God, that makes all this possible. You can't have humanistic relationships. And if I talk about this, I can go on and on and on. But I'm afraid that you're all going to run away then. But another thing is human standards. The church does not move according to the standards of the world. And this is actually something that our church has been fighting for, for a long time. It's a very difficult fight. For a long time, past, people at my church said that pastor has no love. Pastor has no love. It's because they've been looking at me through the standard of the world and they want me to move how they want me to move. And so they wanted attention from me in the way that they wanted. But if I were to go into detail, there's we can go on and on and on. But anyways, but these kinds of, 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 of standards came through Gnosticism. And what is Gnosticism trying to make? They're trying to deny Jesus as king. That's the terrifying thing. The church, to the church, Jesus alone is king. Jesus alone has dominion. But this positive thinking, humanism and worldly standard, what it does is it ultimately makes you deny his kingship. And so today, if there's anything that has, that has entered into your heart that is not Jesus Christ, let us get rid of these things, especially when you yourself are the king over your church. And so if you are not putting, denying yourself, then you will end up becoming king for yourself. And if a pastor is king of himself, then the church becomes his kingdom, no longer the kingdom of God. And if you go to Korea, there's many churches like this, where the church is the pastor's kingdom. Right? If you want to be a successful pastor in this Western civilization, you need to make your own kingdom. That makes it easier. Because this is the way that you can live successfully. But if you are a king, then the church is your kingdom, no longer the kingdom of God. And so when, and so when that person comes before the Lord, the Lord will ask, 
Who are you? I don't know you. And there's so many of these pastors these days that when they come before the Lord in, before His throne, He will never get stand up from His throne because He's afraid that these pastors are going to try to steal their His throne. So brothers, any aspect of our lives where we have become king, let us repent. Repent deeply. Because look, the characteristic of a church that has God's dominion, you do not move according to your thoughts, according to your will, according to your experiences. You will always wait for God to move. That if God doesn't move, you will not do anything. And the characteristic of a person who lives by the Holy Spirit isn't someone who's who's marching forward, always marching forward, always marching forward. This isn't the characteristic of a man living in the Holy Spirit. No, it's someone who knows how to stop. The one who knows how to stop is the one who lives by the Holy Spirit. Knowing how to stop is the most basic element of living with the Holy Spirit. And so our church is a small church, and yet we minister to the world. And there are um, disciples of Zoe ministry all over the world. And we are all growing together and nourishing one another and learning together. But if I stop and our church stops, imagine how many people are affected. And we have many churches who are affiliated with us even in Korea alone. And yet if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, what can we do but stop? And in my ministry, we've stopped three times. Complete stop three times. I don't know. I don't care what people say. If the Holy Spirit tells me to stop, I stop. And so three times in my ministry, we've come to a full stop. And this is the image of those who live by the Holy Spirit. And so through this conference, I pray that your breaks will be changed. That we have good breaks. Because it doesn't matter how fast your car can go, if you do not have good brakes, that car is a liability. And so if your life is this car, this uncontrollable car, I pray that you would repent and install these great breaks. And I don't know why I'm talking about these things. It has nothing to do with today's passage. But anyways, so verse 19. Uh, no, verse 18. So children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. And this is really important to understand what this is talking about. The moment the church was established, all these churches started to move in preparation for his return. Even now, it's the same. Even now, all of our goals, every, all of our hope is for his return. And if we lose that time frame, we are lost. But at the same time, to those people who are waiting for his return also need to see, wait for the revelation of the Antichrist. 
there are several reasons for this. Why? Because in all of our spiritual battles, our spiritual fight is with what is against the Antichrist. And so there's probably a principality of the air that reigns over Costa Rica, that reigns over your city. And now, of course, we have to fight against these things, but ultimately our fight is against the spirit of the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist is the spirit that controls all the principalities of the air. If you look at the early church, um, it starts to establish this church of... Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, there's these several churches that come together and they are under one truth and they pray together, they intercede together. And, and so the Gentile church came around Apostle Paul and then the church in Jerusalem centered around Peter and then a little bit later Apostle James. But these churches came together in unity to fight together. Why? Why? Because their fight wasn't against the principalities of the air, but against the Antichrist. Antichrist controls all of the principalities of every region uh, and is above every principality. And so the Antichrist is a very strong spirit, right? And so for this reason, the church is always looking at Jesus' return, signs for Jesus' return, and also what, how the Antichrist is moving. But gratefully, what does it mean that we're looking at these things? It's not that we're afraid, but rather we're looking at those things because we believe that we have the authority to uh, fight those things. If you look at Ephesians 2, the church has the authority over the, uh, the devil, over the Lucifer, over Satan. And so how glorious is this that we have that authority? Right? Jesus even said in, in the gospel that we have the authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, it gives a list of spiritual gifts. And in those spiritual gifts, does it talk about casting out demons? Okay, this is the reason why many uh, ex exorcists uh, fall. Because spiritual gift, there is no spiritual gift of exorcism. Do you know why? Because let's say that I, 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 I cast out a demon. But I'm not just dealing with that demon, but I'm also dealing with Satan. Because these demons are connected together. And so you can't fight this with your own personal, individual, spiritual gift. You need to use the authority that is given to the Church of God. This is really important to understand. And what is the Church? The Church has the authority to reign over all creation. And for this reason, 
the church is always looking at how the Antichrist is moving. Even the principalities may send pawns to attack the church. Maybe unbelief, immorality, whatever it may be, whatever pawn that it sends. But the church, ultimately, these pawns are not sent by the principalities, but they're sent by Antichrist. And so we need to grow in that authority. This is a different level of authority. But the church can do so because the church is the body of Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And so we move according to his command. And if you receive his dominion, then there's no reason for the church to fear. But conversely, if you look to his, his, his command, then there's no reason to fear. Amen? And so to the church that is always looking for the return of the king, they also are always looking at how the Antichrist is moving. And another reason why they're looking at the Antichrist is because as I said earlier in uh, about 1 Thessalonians 2 is that uh, when Jesus is about to come who's going to uh, be re revealed is the Antichrist and so when that Antichrist is revealed what can we understand? We can say, aha, Jesus is about to come soon and so before that Antichrist is revealed many things have to happen, right? Warfare, famines, uh, the world being united as one uh, the uni unification of all religions but and so in this, the early church is looking at the Antichrist for this reason. And then so when he says that as uh, that Antichrist is coming, this is looking at it from the perspective of the end times. But and then at the same time it says, so now many Antichrists have come. Now this is talking about the spirits that have come to attack the church. And so as we I explained earlier, this is talking about Gnosticism. And so remember, the spiritual battle that the early church has, that the church this day have, is against Antichrist, not against the principalities of the air. So, have I preached Ephesians in Costa Rica? Not yet. Okay, I think uh, next time, or we need a time to preach out of Ephesians. I guess the Lord has to delay His come, coming so that I can preach all these things to you. Because there's so much that I want to do with you. But if you look at Ephesians, it says that the church are governors. The church are like uh, princes in God's name. You are princes sent from the capital of the kingdom of heaven, right? And so you have the authority to have dominion over this region. But the devil is not going to just lay idle and allow you to take control. That's why we need spiritual warfare. If the church does not engage in spiritual warfare, you will be pillaged of everything you have. And so the church must engage in spiritual warfare. You must fight. Why? Because the devil will never acknowledge your authority. And so you need to overcome him with power. And yet, God has given you enough power. And this is the secret behind how we can have this worldwide ministry, even though we're such a small church, because we have faith in who we are as the church of God. And when I come to South America, I'm expecting spoils of war. 
and the Catholic Church has lots of money, right? And our church needs to build a new center. And so we're going to take the money of the Catholic Church. <laughs> okay, when, it, when you look at Proverbs, it says that the evil make money for the righteous. And so we're going to take all of it. And you know, there's a port here in Costa Rica, right? Yeah, I'm going to. I parked a very great ship at that port over there, an enterprise class ship. So you also uh, take as many spoils of war as you can. Because remember, when we have this conference, we're engaging in warfare. And on that last day, when we proclaim the victory, God is going to share the spoils. Amen? And so on this last day, we're going to proclaim this triumph. And so take hold of the spoils of war. If you enter into the website of our church, uh, there's a there's a portion regarding spiritual warfare, but uh, regrettably, it's not in Spanish. And so, if you can see it in English, uh, it'd be of great benefit. And so we need to know who the enemy is if we want to fight the enemy, right? That's the secret to war. Okay. There's a book in China that talks about warfare and it says that if you know your enemy, you will always be victorious. And so what's important is you need to know who you are and you need to know who your enemy is. Then that fight is 100% win rate. And our Lord has never lost once to the devil. And so, when, the de when you bring the name of the Lord before the devil, he's going to piss in his pants. And because we are one with God, we cannot lose because God will never lose to the devil. Do you believe? Let's continue. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. And so who are these they? This is talking about those who are influenced by Gnosticism. And the early church didn't kick them out. They didn't excommunicate them. They left of their own accord. Why? Because they did not belong to us. And so do you belong to the true church or not? And so if your church is a true church, then that church's holiness will be kept by God. Now, of course, the church has the right to excommunicate. Even in our church, we excommunicate members. Uh, because they've sinned too great or they were disobedient too much to the church. Then, then the last measure we take is excommunication. But uh, talking about this is too complicated. But the focus isn't on kicking them out. The focus of excommunication is that it's beneficial to the one who gets kicked out. But anyways, 
it's not excommunication that he's talking about here. They left of their own accord. Why? Because if the church's holiness grows and grows and grows, then God is going to lead that holiness. And so the most important thing to the church members is this being of the church. And the focus of that being of that church is what is that? Do I, am I a member of this church? Am I a called to this church? It's not, oh, I like this church because they have good sermons. Oh, because the pastor is so good looking, I like this church. Okay, okay this is actually one problem that I have. That's not the reason why your church members should be at your church. Am I called to this church? And am I a member of this body? Through these things, your church members will grow. And this is why they're able to lay down their lives for that church. Because they belong to this body. And so really, amongst people who come to our church, if they don't have a calling, I don't receive them into our church. And how can you know if they have the calling or not? Uh, this requires a little bit of time. But first, are they receiving the truth that flows through that church? Are they um, committed to the vision of this church? Then if so, then they belong to this church. It's not, are they tithing? Are they offering well? That's not, this is just basics. Right, if, if they get caught not tithing, then I'm going to demand double the next time. 100% our church members tithe. And they are committed to every worship and ministry. And so these things, reception of these things is confirmation of their calling. And the reason why they will rejoice in this is because they see the glory in the church. They are not doing. They are not forced to do this. And so, when it comes to the church that I belong to, this body it's so important to receive that, to accept that. Okay, remember, the church isn't about individuals just coming and individual spirituality. Christianity isn't about individualism. Okay, just as my arm, is, as long as it's connected to my body, will grow with my body. It's the same thing. As members are part of that body, they will grow together. And so it's really important to understand that the church is a body. And so Gnosticism, because they are not part of the body, they, they go out. Because remember, God is going to keep the holiness of His church. And since they do not belong to the holiness of that church, they go out because God keeps the church. It's the same thing to your church. You do not need to waste your energy to people who do not belong to your church. To the point that I don't even pray for them. It's right for me to pray and pour out my energy to my children, right? I don't need to waste my energy on a beggar that I don't know. And actually, this is really important in your pastoral ministry. 
too many pastors waste their energy in other places. So you really need to open your eyes to these spiritual things. There are many reasons why your pastoral ministry seems so powerless, seems so uninfluential. It's because you do not understand the principle of the Church of God. But really, I'm, uh, today's sermon isn't about the doctrine of the Church. Uh, if, if God allows, uh, I would like to preach about the doctrine of the church. But anyways, the important thing is that you need to be the church of God. And, and in that church of God, all of your members are part of that body. If not, then they will be separated. And so as it says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And so this word continued with us is once again painting that picture of the dynamic of the Trinity. The fellowship with that, that dynamic fellowship of the Trinity. And so as you are one with the Trinity, you are also part of the body of the church. And so it's moving together. And so this, this triune relationship, this dynamic relationship is continuing going. Because the head of the church is Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit uh, sends forth all the commands of the head through the body of the church. And the Father uh, sends forth all the nourishment needed for that church. And so even in the church, this trinity is moving in this dynamic. And so you can see that the church already has amazing works going on. And if you look at the doctrines of the seven churches, Apart from the church in Corinth, all seven churches, uh, what did Paul say regarding them? That the news of your faith have spread across the nations. It's not because that they are excellent in character, but rather because God is moving in them, and that's ultimately what's going to happen. Like, you may think that the church in Rome, of course they're influential, but think about Colossae, the church in Colossae. Colossae was in a city that was ruined by an earthquake, and because their city had no value to Rome, they didn't invest in it. And yet, the church, even in Coloss Colossae, they say that the news of your faith has spread across the, the nations. That is talking not about the, just simply their news, but their influence. They're influencing the nations. So really, when God created His church, He has poured out this amazing thing. As it says in Acts, that, that when God says that I have uh, purchased you with my blood, what that means is He'll take responsibility for you. What does this mean that He'll take responsibility for you? Think about the Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris. When that painting is taken to another country to, sh uh, to show it off, then imagine the security detail that follows that painting. Right, you know, right? You you all know the kind of security detail, right? Tanks, they would use tanks and military would protect that painting. And now imagine if that painting was in your office, in your church. Then what's going to happen? Right, you're going to have to guard that painting with guns and so you're probably going to have to buy a rifle. But who is guarding you? God, God who has purchased you with His blood. And so that's why He protects you, He watches over you. And so if you know what the church is, then pastors, 
You don't, you do not need to do anything. There's no reason for your strength. But the fact that you have been called to the church means that God is going to make you him as him. Can you turn your church members into God? You can't, and so you have to give up. And what does it mean to give up? It means you surrender to God, saying that I cannot do anything. And so you fully rely upon God. You fully uh, prostrate yourself before God. And you give up on your own ability. You give up on your own potential. And how does Paul describe this? He says that it's made through the revelation of God. As it says in Corinthians. That no one, and what does it say here in John? That no one can teach you. And no one can shape another man. There are only two beings that can shape a man. One is God and the other is demons. Are you demons? No, we are in we are not. And so so we cannot shape man. And so the anointing teaches you. And so pastors. Pastors, don't try to do something. That's why people are destroyed. Okay, when a chick is ready to hatch, if you help break that shell, the, the chick will hatch easily. But that chick will never be able to fly. If you touch people, that's what you're doing. You are trying to help that chick be born by breaking the eggshell. We are simply uh, the middleman who helps bring people to God. Why in one church does everyone minister? Does everyone work? Does everyone prophesy? Does everyone pray? Why? Is it because the pastor is excellent? No, it's because I didn't do anything. God did everything. So this is what it means to be the church. And so continuing on that, uh, they would have been with us if they uh, if they had been of us. They would have continued with us. And so let's say someone leaves your church, and you are the church of God, and you are called by God. Then do not be um, grief stricken that they left your church. And now I'm not saying enjoy it, but just pray this one thing. Lord, I was not able to fully love him. Then what's interesting is that the very next day I forget that person's name. And so if they are not part of our church, then I do not concern about them. You do not need to uh, struggle and, and wrestle and, and, and be sad over them leaving. The reason why you struggle and you are sad is because you cannot confirm that you are the true church and that you are a true servant of God. If you are a true servant of God and the true church, then the, the fact that they left isn't an indictment on you, but it's an indictment on them. Amen? And so, look, this must be clear, that they left to show that they do not belong to us. And so look at how much God loves the pastors. 
that whenever a church member and a pastor fights, God is always on the side of the pastor. And so don't allow your church members to challenge you. I was joking, but you, you don't seem to really enjoy it. I was trying to uh, help you. When I joke, please laugh. If you don't laugh when I joke, then I will curse you. Verse 20. But the, you have been anointed by the Holy One. You have, all have knowledge. And so to know who is the member of the church, it requires discernment. We can know all of these things. Why? Because we have been anointed by the Holy One. And so usually, when he talks about Holy One, he's talking about the Father. And And so as the church receives the anointing, the Holy Spirit moves, and through the movement of the Holy Spirit, the church can know all things. And so that's what we, we say, that the Holy Spirit is moving. And so here in verse 20, we can see again the dynamic of the Trinity here. That God... Or so Jesus Christ, the head of the church, commands the church. And God anoints the church and reigns over that church, the Father. And then so here now the Holy Spirit is talking specifically of what? Of spiritual discernment. And so that person who left, who is he? And what is the Spirit in him? And why did he leave? You come to know these things. And so whatever it may be, if it happens in the church, it is all under God's dominion. And so for this reason, there's no reason to worry. And going beyond that, let's say that the devil caused it to happen. Then all we have to do is fight and be victorious. Because every element belongs to the, belongs to God. So verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth. And so again, this, this is great meaning behind this. Okay, uh, when the church adjoining community was established around Apostle John, it's not that it took a lot of time for this truth system to be established. No, rather, the moment the church was established, the word entered into them. Why? Because they are new covenant beings, and so in them is the word of God. When we are born again and the Holy Spirit enters into me, His word enters into me. And so pastors, why are you able to preach to your church members? Not to teach them, not to give them new knowledge, not so that they can, you can help them understand. No, even the reason why I can give you all these amazing words right now is because this word is already inside of you. 
32 years ago, the moment I met with the Lord, I didn't, I've never read the Bible before. And yet, the moment I met with God, I went to the church. And the moment I went into the church, I was already preaching. And witness of that is my wife. She knew who I was before I met with Jesus Christ. And she's also seen how my life unfolded after I met with Jesus Christ. Before I met Jesus Christ, she did not consider me to be a good person. And if I want to testify this, <laughs> it's going to take too long. And so when you teach your church members, this is what you need to acknowledge, that if they are born again, if they are born again, the word is inside of them. And so the word that I proclaim is meaning with the word that is inside of them. If you look at Ephesians 3, as the Holy Spirit enters into me, already He gives everything of the spiritual realm into me. And so we are not learning from without. We are not receiving from outside. No, what's inside of me is being made manifest. And so as I've been ministering for 32 years, really, this is how everyone has grown. They're not growing because I teach them something. No, they're growing because what's inside of them is made manifest. And so to those people who understand this and acknowledge this, then they have the true flow of the New Testament. And what it is, is that they keep trying to deny themselves, repent, uh, to get rid of the things that block uh, the things of God from being revealed. And so, again, today, as I'm preaching to you, the word I'm proclaiming is meeting with the word that's inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is going to cut away at the things that block the things of God. And so you are not learning all things, but you are confirming what you already know. And so it's these kinds of people who are going to be blessed today. It's these kinds of people who are going to be shaken within them. That, ah, God's anointing is moving inside of me. Ah, this is already inside of me. Hallelujah. Yes, is this true? And so this joining community, they already had all the truth and they already were filled with all these things and so all they needed right now was the anointing this is the image of the glorious church of christ and this is what your church needs to be like that every single church member has the truth system inside of them that anyone can minister at any time that they can all move according to the impulse of the holy spirit and so the church is a greater thing than you could ever imagine. It is the kingdom of heaven itself. And God is the master. He is my master, and so the church is infinite. The church is infinite. Hallelujah. Let's continue. And so, but because you know, and because no lie is of the truth, 
And what does this mean? Because the Johannin community had the truth, they know what is a lie. And so in the Costa Rica bank, there is a guy who is checking for counterfeits. And do you know how they trained him? Every day studying the different kinds of counterfeits? No. They're always looking at what the real bill is. Always looking at what's real. And so when the fake thing comes before them, they know it right away. And it's, and it's the same thing in your pastoral ministry. You don't need to study what's all the cults out there. You don't need to study heresies. No, study what's true. Study the true Jesus Christ. Know the truth. And as long as this is ingrained into you, you will see what's false right away. And so I think you are eating this word very well right now. I'm very grateful. And so moving on to verse 22. We have a long way to go, right? Okay, and so today, as what you are eating needs to start to be digested. And so there's some of you who are so, who have eaten so much that you have indigestion. And so, um, ministers, bring digestive. Laxative. Or a digestive. Amen. Ten years ago, I met with Sergio for the first time. And it was a meeting with him is my blessing. It's more of a blessing for you. <laughs> but because this is a very fast and difficult. Uh, it's actually very great grace that God has given me these translators. Uh, it's the same to the English translator in the back over there. And my Chinese translator, she's very good at following after me. But anyways, they move as if they are my tongue. So let's continue. Verse 23, or verse 22, sorry. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So it's again talking about these Gnostics. 
The one who denies Jesus is the Christ. And so there's many ways to interpret this. But denying Jesus as the Christ, this is the Antichrist. This is really important. Really, really important. If you eat the truth and God reigns over the true church, then in that church, that God alone is king. God alone is king. There is no other being that could be king in that kind of church. And this is the greatness of the church, that God is king over that church. But if you eat anything that's not the truth, then other things become kings. Look at the history, the 2000 year history of the church. Look at as the Antichrist has corrupted the truth. Look at what has been taken from the church. First of all, from the perspective of ecclesiology. Look at what the church has lost. The church has lost the kingship of God and as children of God, the authority we have as children of kings. So this is really something that I need to preach out of Ephesians. But really, this is the critical attack that the church received. God alone is king. And as children of that king, we have authority. And remember, when God created Adam, this was his focus. That Adam was created to be a priestly king. And how much more as the church of God do we have that calling? And so, who is the Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And the one who denies Jesus denies the Father. And so this word deny, we need to examine this word. It's not saying, oh, don't believe in Jesus. It's not saying, don't believe in God. Actually, more than that, it keeps making false Jesuses, false gods. This is the focus of Gnosticism. It's similar to the truth, but it isn't the truth. Similar to Jesus, but not the true Jesus. And so when this, when this false truths enter into you, it becomes hazy, and so you're unable to discern this. And so you're unable to know the identity of the church and the identity of what it means to be the children of God. But anyway, so let's continue. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Isn't this obvious, right? Because who, he who has the Son also has the Father. And so again, in the dynamic of the Trinity, this means that if you deny the Son, you are denying the Trinity, and so you are denying this fellowship, and this fellowship breaks down, right? And so this fellowship breaks down. That me, and, and, and so you are losing that glory. And, um, and, so, and so that means that the doctrine of Christ is broken down, the doctrine of God is broken down, the doctrine of the church is broken down, the doctrine of the spirit is broken down, and all of these things are broken down. And so what happens? You lose glory. And this is why it's so important for the truth to be established properly. The church flows through the circulation of the truth. 
And so in this, the church finds its dignity and its majesty. And so if you look at 1 Timothy 3, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And so let's say Sergio is a man and I pierce him, then what should flow out of him if I cut him? It should be blood, right? Blood. But let's say I cut him and cola came spurting out. Then he's Pepsi man. But that's not possible, right? It's the same thing with the church. If you cut the church, it should be the truth flowing forth. It's when the truth flows cleanly that we can say that that is the church. This is what it means to be the pillar and foundation of truth. And so if, if you have that truth flowing in that church, then that church will naturally grow in glory. And so with this amazing sermon, you are seeing many signs and wonders. But these signs and wonders is obvious to the church. It should be natural to the church. And really, really for the past two, 20 years as I've been ministering all over the world, there are so many testimonies of miracles and signs. People who were deaf or hear, those who were blind see, uh, those who didn't have things formed, those who could not speak could speak. All kinds of miracles happening. And yesterday there was this minister who, who could only use 26% of their heart there. And look, already his face looks completely different, right? Because his heart is working right. Right? Did he receive surgery? Oh no, okay. The one who received heart surgery four times? Right? God is renewing you. Uh, his heart was completely transformed last night. He has a new heart, a heart of a baby. But all of this is possible because we are the church. And so why am I preaching? Why can't I do this preach? Because I'm the church. And so this is what the faith you need to have and this is the sight you need to see. Is It is the church. There is no limit to the church. The church has infinite potential. So let's continue. Continuing in verse 23. No, we did 23. So whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So again, this confess is, is the word as we talked about earlier, homologeo. And so this trinity are always acknowledging the each Godhead, right? They acknowledge each other. Right, if you look at Psalms 119.1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord. So God calls Jesus Lord, and Jesus calls God Lord. In Genesis 19, we talk about the, it shows the scene of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's God who sends the fire, and there's God who sends the fire. And they are acknowledging together as God. And this, in this relationship, we have been invited. How have we been invited? As children of God. And we're not just simply children, but we are children of the King. Why? Because that glory has been given to us. And because we are glory, as these children of God, we can have fellowship with God. And so what does the Trinity say to us? 
Ephesians 1, the seventh, the seventh blessing in Ephesians 1, that you are the praise of my glory. Listen carefully. Who is saying to whom that you are the praise of his glory? God is saying to you that you are the praise of his glory. God is saying to you right now that you are the praise of his glory. And so look, God is here. Look up. And what do you see? What do you see? If you see the roof, you have no faith. <laughs> can you not see God? God, can you not see him with the guitar? Right, because he's saying that you are the praise of his glory. And so you can see him on the guitar, jan 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 jan. And that my beloved son is here. Uh, yeah, the problem is that too many women like him, but... My beloved son, he is good at translating, he is beautiful and he's faithful and he's holy and so God is praising him in this way. And it's, this is possible because we have this kingly relationship. He calls you the praise of his glory. And so is this coming to you? Is this approaching you? Can you believe in your dignity, in your honor? God, and so bless the person next to you. You are the praise of God's glory. You are the praise of God's glory. Wow! 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 Is you? And so receive how much God has blessed us. So look. Though people can leave the church, they may give up on the church. And yet no one who believes in Jesus can give up, right? Maybe they may fall. But if they truly receive Jesus Christ, then they cannot betray Him. How can you betray this amazing love? How can you turn your back on this amazing blessing? And for this reason, that's why in the church, you can say to your church members, die for the gospel, die for Jesus. And I brought one of my businessmen at our church, and I told him to cover the cost for the next conference. Because it doesn't belong to him anyways. That money was never his to begin with. And so that's why I always bring one businessman with me at all times. <laughs> so 
But look, uh, I, I, I'm reminded of this uh, because we have a conference in Israel, but from my perspective, I would prefer you to come to Korea rather than Israel. Why? Because in Korea, I'm welcoming uh, rem uh, remnant ministers from all over the world. But if you still insist on Israel, then I welcome you to Israel. But, but I would prefer you to come to Korea. And so, please, if you are interested, contact Pastor uh, Francisco, and I welcome you to come in October. Okay, we can give you visas for up to about a month to stay in Korea. And so I would like you to uh, experience our church and, and see our church. So I welcome you. Please come. Okay, verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So as I said earlier, uh, right, as it says in Ephesians, they have already received the word and the word has been embodied in them. And going beyond that, this paints the picture of they have been made into God's temple. And so it means that it's been embodied in them. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And so John is using this word abide. It's not just simple fellowship, but through abide, what it means is that you are embodying it, that it is becoming a part of you. And so when the word is embodied in you, it means that you are embodying fellowship with the tr dynamic trinity. That I am in you, I abide in you, and you abide in me, as it says in Gospel of John chapter 17. And so, as you listen to today's sermon, if you have fellowship with God, uh, there will come a time where you will feel the relationship that you have with the indwelling Holy Spirit and the prescient Holy Spirit. For example, I'll use my example, like the Holy Spirit inside of me moves in discernment. Then as that Holy Spirit moves inside of me, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit that fills the entire universe. And so devil, even demons are in this presence, right? And so because I'm in that presence of God, I can see the devil beneath my feet. This is the relationship of life. The Holy Spirit moves inside of me as discernment. And then in that presence of the Holy Spirit, I discern the devil moving. And because I'm in that presence, and I can see the devil under my feet. Because remember, all creation is under the throne of God. And so this happens instantaneously in me. 
Now, maybe it's possible to say that this is possible for me because I've been focused on the God for 32 years. But remember, time has nothing to do with this. Some person, it might happen overnight. It can happen over several over years. There's a difference, but that's all up to God. But the focus, the focus is to not limit the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. Do not put limitations on the Holy Spirit, but be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Knowing what displeases Him. Know what pleases Him. Knowing what, what makes Him stumble. That's, it's being sensitive to those things. And how do you do that? By putting to death your thoughts, your experience. By putting to death and giving up and denying yourself. And so this makes that relationship of life. That's what's being talked about here. And so that's when the Word moves inside of you, the blood moves inside of you. And you experience these things. And so you are embodying these things. You need to keep embodying these things. And so think about it. In chapter 3, we're going to talk about love. Even when one person loves another person, that person gets filled with such strength, right? And they can do such great things, right? Right. Look at look at King Artaxerxes in, in, the, in the book of Esther. For love, he's willing to give half his kingdom. But who is God? God is true love. He has a love that man cannot do. And He gives you this love. And when He gives you this love, what do you think He's willing to do for that love? And so when you have this relationship, you this becomes so obvious to you. That this amazing love is covering over you, watching over you, leading you. This becomes so obvious to you. And that's why He calls you the praise of His glory. And that's why He says that He who is holy and those who are being made holy are of the same essence. That's why He says that you are children of God. That's why He calls you His heir. And that He's willing to give you everything that Jesus has. And yet at the same time He can give you all of that. And so what, so what's the answer? The answer is love. It's because of His love. It's because He is love. Why does he, cause, why does he call you to ministry? Because you're good at ministry? Because you're good at preaching? No. This is actually something that I'm ashamed of before God. I, I'm not good at any of these things. But why is this possible? Because He loves me. And because, because He loves me. To, and because He wants to reward me. And so there's no reason to boast. There's no reason to be proudful. There's no reason to be arrogant. Honestly, rather, we are ashamed. That, Lord, I'm really ashamed before your presence. And yet, what does God say? Oh, still, you are the best. You are the best. And so we get deluded into thinking we truly are the best. <laughs> no, but anyways, that's just a joke. Amen. Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And so what's important here is that through this relationship, through this fellowship, in this flow of the truth, what is the promise? The promise is eternal life. And so no matter what you do, the important thing is, is that in that fellowship, that eternal life grows in you, grows in you. The more you minister, the more that eternal life overflows in you. 
If you're ministering and, and then you get exhausted, you get drained, that may be possible. But spiritually, you're getting polluted, you're getting exhausted. That means something is wrong. Because if you look at John 3, that my work is my food. Because working in God is my food. Amen? This is the natural uh, order of things that should be applied to your ministry. But many people, as they minister, and yet you get tired, and so you try to relieve that stress through the things of this world, repent deeply, because this is wrong. Right? Relieve your stress through movies, through uh, entertainment. That means something is wrong. Rather, through ministry, you should repent. Be, just as when you plate of a dinner, you have to wash that plate. In the same way, after ministry, we need to wash this vessel that is our body. And so after ministry, we need to repent. Why? Because the most important thing for me is to be holy, to be clean, to be pure. And so when we minister, there are many things that we can repent of, right? For example, we might go against the will of the Holy Spirit. We may make little white lies here and there. Maybe we might not love the person that we're ministering to, right? There are many reasons for us to repent. And so our life needs to be based on maintaining this relationship of holiness. And it's when you maintain that holiness that you'll grow as a person. And so even right now, as you're listening to this word, this eternal life is growing in you. Amen? And so we're being filled even more by this eternal life. Amen? Amen. And so are you getting exhausted? Not exhausted? Then I'm grateful. Okay, if I were to spend two weeks with you, you would be completely transformed. And so the next time I come to Costa Rica, I want to do uh, one week of conference and one week of NB. If I come. This isn't my will. This is God's heart for you. God wants to shape you. God wants to form you. This is God's heart to really renew and 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 un, and set free His servants. Because honestly, humanly speaking, what relationship do I have to you? Right? In my blood, there is no blood of South America. Not even a drop. Right? Right, if, if you could find an ancestor, someone in my ancestry who was from South America, then maybe I have a reason to be here. But look at my face. Is there any South American genes in me? And yet, why am I here and why do I love you? Because this is God's heart for you. Because God wants this. And so even right now, that's what we need to receive, is the love of God. God who loves His servants. That He's willing to give you everything and anything. Is there anything you want to eat? If you want, I'm going to send someone to buy. Do you want ice cream? 
Pastor Francisco, pedimos que nos traigan a helado para la, para la sesión de la tarde. Entonces. Caro. Muy caro. Caro. Muy caro. Muy caro. I wanted to get to verse 12, but I think that's going to be impossible. Let's just look up to verse 29. If by any chance, if we don't have enough time to get to chapter 5, then I will have one more session tomorrow in the afternoon. So that means we'll have three services tomorrow. If you're too tired, then we, we don't have to do it. But, but we'll have ministry today at four. So let's hurry up and finish. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And so how are the Gnostics trying to deceive them? They're bringing this false truth that is not the truth. And so to cut them off from fellowship with God. And so deception comes from the spirit of deception. And the spirit of deception moves together with the spirit of confusion for the most part. And so look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. You need to see with your own eyes. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. And so when it says God of this world, you can say it the God of this age. And so of course this means Antichrist. And that means that any demon can be used. And so it does this to blind the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And so whatever root it may be, whether it's immorality or familiar spirits or the spirit of the world, ultimately what is his goal? His goal is to make you unbelieve. 
And so this unbelief has a very special role. That ultimately unbelief can go hand in hand with any other spirit because ultimately the goal is to make you unbelief. And so that's their strategy. Their ultimate goal is to make, keep you from believing. For example, let's say that you were wounded by some person. Then that happens because of the spirit of immorality. And yet through that process, what happens is that that person loses faith in God. And if you look at the brothers in our church who have weak faith, whenever they fight with their wives, they always say, I'm not going to church then. They're the ones who are fighting, so why are they bringing the church into it? You did the same thing, right? Look, this isn't, this isn't coincidence. This is the spiritual order that is being at, working at play. And so deception and confusion are the right-hand mans. They're, they are the right-hand mans of unbelief. Unbelief always works with confusion and deception. What is deception? Deception makes you have... Deception makes you unable to decide. Makes you unable to see the truth. And so we should not fall to the attacks of the other spirits. And so we always need to be able to cast out the spirit of unbelief, confusion, and de deception. And so it doesn't apply to non-spiritual sermons, but when we listen to spiritual sermons, there are many times where the spirit of confusion and deception will attack to keep you from hearing the sermon. So it'll make it sound like a drum, like a, like a ringing inside of you. And so that's why every time before I preach, I'm always engaging in spiritual warfare and fighting against these spirits. And so let's turn back to today's text. And so I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And so these guys are trying to deceive them and so that they could fall to unbelief. And then so, and then verse 27, 20, uh, verse 27 is again talking about the dynamic of the Trinity. Verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And so what does it mean that the anointing that you receive from him abides in you? This is talking about the state of the Holy Spirit working. Who gives that anointing though? It's God the Father, right? But when that anointing comes inside of me, who works inside of me? The Holy Spirit. And so you can look at the anointing as the working of the Holy Spirit. So remember, the anointing comes from who? The Father. And as this relationship is maintained, 
then the Holy Spirit holds on to the energy of that anointing in, within me. And so even if the Father doesn't give, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, there is anointing still stored up and you can work out of that. And so sometimes, this is practical, sometimes uh, the gates of heaven are not open, but you can still minister because of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. Now, of course, because of this, you can break through heaven. But, but sometimes uh, God wants you to work just out of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I can see this many times happening um, um, in the conference. For example, uh, there are times where you need to cast out a demon and at that moment the gates of heaven are closed and so so you can't wait there you can't wait because the time is now and so so just my faith comes up and even though God's not pouring out the anointing, there's this anointing inside me and so I just cast out the demon through the indwelling Holy Spirit. But anyways, as ministers, we need to continually abide in that anointing, letting that anointing continually fill us up. And that's why I can impart. I can lay on hands. Because laying on hands is one way how God pours out that anointing to the church by, 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 by using me as a channel to impart impart that anointing. That's why we need to maintain the fullness of that anointing. And so look, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And so fundamentally, when it comes to teaching, it is not men who teach. The Holy Spirit within me teaches me everything. In John 14, what does it say? It says that the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I said to you. And so when a pastor preaches, does that mean I am the one who is teaching? No. The pastor needs to confirm that through his words, the anointing is flowing forth. Do not preach out of your learning. Do not preach out of your education. That you need to confirm that through your preaching, the anointing is flowing forth. And that's when that anointing flows into you. And in you, that anointing teaches you according to what the Holy Spirit wants to raise you. So though I might be the one who's speaking, the one who is teaching you is the Holy Spirit. And this relationship needs to be clear. Even now, the Holy Spirit is teaching you. I'm confirming right now that the anointing is flowing forth out of my lips. But if there is no anointing, then you should not preach. If there's no anointing, you should not minister. Because then your strength is going to come out. Your experience is going to come out. Your thoughts is going to come out. Your plan is going to come out. And that's going to destroy souls. That's dangerous. And so ministers always need to allow the anointing to flow forth in them. This is my words. God, Jesus said in John 17, or, or sorry, chapter 7. What does it say? That from your stomach, uh, rivers of, of living water will flow forth. And so what is living river? Right, it's living river, living water. 
And what is living water? Living water is anointing. That anointing will bring you life. That, an if that anointing is there, everything becomes easy. You are filled with life. And so in this conference, if there is any blockage, if there is a dam against this living river, you need to break that dam down and let those living waters flow forth once again. That in your church you need to see living rivers once again flow into your church, flowing out to Costa Rica. So let's continue. And so his anointing teaches you about everything. And so what, is this the same thing as the Holy Spirit teaching you everything? Though it may, it is the same thing. But remember, the anointing is the working of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe he teaches you through prophecy or through wisdom of understanding or through prophecy. And so what is worship? Worship is every single member being a channel of God's anointing. And so when I sit with 250 people, as I proclaim the anointing, that anointing flows into you. And through you, you become a channel of that anointing. And so everyone becomes a channel of that anointing through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so as this anointing flows, it grows and multiplies and builds upon each other. And so the holiness that you send forth grows everyone's holiness. And so what is the worship? The worship is talking about this meeting of, of people who build each other up. And that's why worship is so important to the church. Because in the church as a body, it's not one person being blessed, but everyone growing together as a member of one body. Each and every single person becomes a source, a channel of that revelation. Everyone becomes a channel of holiness. Everyone is a channel of that anointing. Everyone is a channel of that blessing. That is worship. And so if the Holy Spirit is shaping you, then this is what's going to happen. Amen. And so let's continue. And, uh, and is true, right? And so if the truth is proclaimed, then it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And so the Holy Spirit is in you, the Word is in you, and so I am in the presence of God. I am in the presence of the Lord. And so in this interchange of life, the Holy Spirit teaches you, provides and nourishes you, and going beyond that in this life relationship what does this mean what fellowship do I have that I am in the assembly of heaven that the righteous ones are cheering me on the angels are ministering to me and fighting for me and he who is the 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 meditator the mediator of the new covenant is is defending me and the blood that flows forth from heaven is speaking on my behalf the truth that has been proclaimed for me is building up inside of me and so when one child of God moves the entire kingdom of heaven is moving together as one body 
this isn't imagination. This is happening in reality. Even right now, it's happening right now. Open your spirit. Open your spirit to see. Even right now, even right now, all that flow of the eschatology, the prophecy, the promise is flowing here and going beyond that. If you have this relationship of life with God, then you are able to see how God is moving the history of man. And you are seeing that the universe is shaping into a cross. And this, you'll see this, you'll see the universe. And so you see the devil trying to use global climate change to, 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 to cause chaos in this world. But think about it. Do you really think that God's creation is going to be influenced by man farting too much? No. This climate change is not because of what is happening on this earth. No, this climate change is God's judgment over the entire universe. So do not be deceived. So right now, climate change, the world is using it to try to uh, compete with one another so that strong nations can get stronger. And so Costa Rica, you only make this much amount of money because of global warming. Guatemala, only make this amount of money because we don't want you to get cause too much climate change. And so do you know what nation is actually most rich in natural resources? It's actually Congo. Congo has so many natural resources. And yet it's one of the poorest nations in the world. Why? Because the devil is controlling it. And so the world is control uh, the world is controlled by this false information. Climate change isn't limited to this world. No, climate change is a result of what's going on in the universe. And so if you maintain this fellowship with God's life, you'll be connected to God's nerves that is, that is controlling not just the world, but the universe. And so uh, I, I, I am a witness to this. Uh, several months ago, uh, this sister received a lot of grace um, in one of my conferences, she called me. And, and we're on the phone, right? And on the phone, uh, she called me saying that there's a demon-possessed person here and I don't know what to do. And, and then uh, I said, hey, look, uh, this person is going, to, is going to faint soon. And I heard on the phone uh, the sound of, of, some, of a body hitting the floor. And she asked me, she asked me, how did you know this? How did you know this? And I said that God is, in, God is revealing this to me. I don't know this, but God knows this. But anyways, and then she called me once and then another time. And then she says that demons are coming to her every night. And then so, so she called me and I asked her, and I said that the demon is not going to come today. And it didn't. And so she asked me, how did, how did you know? And I said, the demon is going to come tomorrow. 
And then I said, I, and then so she asked me again, how did I know? And I said, I didn't know. And then what should I do? What do you mean, what should you do? The church should do something. But anyways, and so as a minister to the world, I have many testimonies of this, of how I'm connected to God, and so God ministers to all of this. Why is this possible? How is this possible for me to know these things? It's because I'm connected to God, and so everything that God is sensing is connected to me. And so here I can minister and do healing ministry. And I've actually done healing ministry in this way many times. And really, this doesn't just apply to me. I'm not some special being. No, this all unfolds to those who are in this fellowship with God. But the important thing is we just have to be attached to God and do not limit His Spirit. Amen? You need to understand that divinity is in you. So verse 28, And now little children abide in Him. And so He's now constantly using this word, abide. And what does this mean? This means to embody, embody, embody it, characterize in it. And so, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. And so, as I said earlier, our schedule, our time frame is for His return, right? The reason why we're having fellowship with Him, and in this fellowship, the significance of that is so that we can be confident before Him when He comes. And so if we lose this fellowship, we lose this holiness. And if we lose this fellowship, we cannot receive His love. Through this fellowship, we are being beautified. We are becoming more and more like Him. And so I'll, I'll go a little bit more deeper in this when we go through chapter 3, verse 2. So now let's look at verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, we talked about this righteousness earlier, right? Righteousness, Him coming on this flesh so that He can give us this righteousness, right? So that we can embody this righteousness. And so you know that He is righteous, and if we receive His righteousness, then we will walk in that righteousness, right? And so you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. And so, you act according to who you are, right? Because you are a sinner, you sin. You are not a sinner because you sin. No, you sin because you are a sinner. It's because you are righteous that you can practice righteousness. This is really important. This is really important to understand. And so as you pastor your flock, do not emphasize works. The kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom of works. It's not about do this, do that, do this. 66 books of the Bible emphasize who you are without your, it's about your existence, not about your actions. How can man not sin? And yet the Bible says to not sin. How can you be a being worthy to be called the praise of God's glory? This is all about your being, not about your actions. You can never do anything to, to deserve any of these things. You can be. And so when, if you are righteous, you will practice righteousness. 
Because you are righteous, you can walk in righteousness. The Bible is about your being. And it's really important to understand this and to acknowledge this. Because if not, then you're going to continually emphasize actions. You're going to continually emphasize works. And if you continually emphasize actions, then your lips is continually proclaiming the spirit of legalism. Legalism, legalism. And you're going to bind your church members in legalism. And when you are bound, you cannot do anything. You are no longer free. And so it's about your being. It's about your existence. That you are righteous. You are kingly prince. That you are the, you are the praise of his glory. You need to believe in who you are, not in what you do. Your, and so religion emphasizes what? Actions, right? And so look at Catholic Church. They are always worried about what they're doing, right? They have to, they have to do this ritual. They have to do that ritual. Catholic Church is not Christianity. They are a completely different religion. Do not consider the Catholic Church to be our mother church. No, they, to be more accurate, they are a heresy of Christianity. And going even further, to be more accurate, they are a church of idolatry. And so do not consider them to be the source of Christianity. The Catholic Church is a completely different religion. If I want to explain this, it's going to take too much time. But everything about the Catholic Church is wrong. The only thing about them that's similar to us is that they call their God Jesus. But do you know who killed the most Christians? It is the Catholic Church. Look at the history. In history, it is the Catholic Church who killed the most Christians, who killed the most Jews. It is Catholic Church. And so the great prostitute, the Catholic Church is our enemy. They are not our friends. They are not for us. And so really, look at all the witches in South America. They are all empowered by the Catholic Church. You need to trust this. I fought in this warfare for 32 years. And so really, uh, when you fight witchcraft, um, what you are fighting against is the great prostitute. And who is the great prostitute? It is the Catholic Church. And so Costa Rica, I, I, I met with you three years ago, and I've been fighting uh, the spiritual battle in Costa Rica. And... And in this ground, there are these lines of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is the great prostitute. And the great prostitute is moving. And why is Costa Rica important? Because Costa Rica, if you look at it from the spiritual map, because Costa Rica is important as, as a connecting hub for North and South America. And so we need to uh, break the, 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 the stronghold of the enemy in Costa Rica. And so really, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the ground, for the land of, of Costa Rica. And so on the first day when I came here, if I took a step, it felt as if my foot was sinking into the ground. So it was so difficult to walk. It was like walking in sand, quicksand. But now it's getting a little bit free right now. And so in the last day, we're going to uh, finish this fight and really be able to fly. And so continually pour out living rivers, living waters.
And so we need to take a hold of every element needed for the glorious church to be established. Amen. And so we're almost finished with verse 29 before we go eat. Okay, verse 29. Okay. okay, and so you know you know that he is righteous. And, and so again, th this righteousness is out of your being, not out of your actions. And so it is talking about the new self, the being of the new self. And so in your life, do not put too much emphasis on what's actually happening in your life. Don't put emphasis on the actions of your life. You need to confirm who you are. It's about your existence, about your being, that I am a righteous man who is receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then no matter what is manifest in your life, do not fall into despair, okay? Maybe you might be sinning, you might fall, but don't fall into despair. R understand that this is the process of you being transformed. This is the process of you being made perfect. And the important thing is, is that even though you sin, you have the right to repent. And so what's important is to repent. It's not, it's not the, don't put emphasis on what sin you sinned, on how you fall. And so what does Proverbs say? That though the righteous may fall seven times, they get back eight times. They get back up eight times. So all you have to do is keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. Why? Because you are righteous. And so keep getting back up. Keep getting back up because you are righteous. Because you are righteous. And so you will see the fruit of this righteousness bear fruit. Amen. And so keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so let us pray. How should we pray? Lord, thank you for calling us to be your church. To your beloved servants who are gathered here, I bless them that they would be the true church and the true servants of God. It's not about being a big church. It's not about being a great servant but being the true church and the true servant. This beloved servants that, that, that move your heart, Lord. Not acknowledged by the world, but acknowledged by God. That they wouldn't care what people say, but that they would look to what you say that they would look for your love, your acknowledgement, that they would look, that they are entrusted with your glory, that you are my child, that you are my glory, that they would hear these words. And in this gathering, may many of your glorious children grow here, that many remnants would grow today that they would be servants that welcome in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, let us see your glory here. Bless them to see your glory. That they would see your dignity, your glory. That you are my praise. That you are the praise of my glory.
Amen. So I bless you that you would enjoy your lunch and let us close here.